1: Hello and welcome to La Liga Lowdown, our Match Day 20 recap and review podcast. I'm Sam Leverage and I'm joined by a little bit depressed Paco Bollet. Paco, how are you doing?
0: Um, Very well, uh, especially after a weekend of, you know, plenty of interesting games. Even though, unfortunately, things are not looking up lately over here in Valencia. Uh, I guess we have to take a, a glance at the bigger picture and I think that uh, the league is becoming quite interesting especially at the bottom because at the top I believe Barca uh, delivered this weekend a big blow uh, to the rest of the opposition in order to try and seize the the win this season in the La Liga Championship.
1: Yeah, well I mean you say that Paco but at the same time five of the top six dropped points this weekend so we can dive straight into one of those possibly the biggest shot shock which was real madrid on their away trip to mallorca which ended with a win for mallorca
0: yeah definitely i think that uh the game between uh mallorca and real madrid was one of the highlights because it was i would say more or less a uh, brawl more brawl than a football game in some in some aspects um once again murici was was crucial with with uh you know, a bit fortunate heather in in this case. I actually believe that the ball know, was deflected in Nacho and ultimately went into the into Courtois's uh, goal. But overall, I think that Mallorca really uh, were able to set off Real Madrid in many ways. You know, the way their players were uh, burly were you know, rowdy even in, in some of the of the plays of the game. And they did have a game plan, which they were, you know, 100% committed to. And ultimately that, uh, you know, uh, relied heavily on scoring, which they did, and later being able to just send the game into the place where they were most comfortable in. And that's straight into the mud. You know, the second half was one big, uh, I would say, some sort of dogfight between both, both sides with... Uh, I don't know, with brawls, with uh, complaints. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's in that sense, Mallorca were masterful in, in many ways because they were able to just um, trick Real Madrid into, into getting into trouble and not really think about their play style and the way they would, would try to turn things around in the game. And in that sense, my, you know, I tip my, my hat off to what uh, Javier Aguirre's men did. And yeah, as you said, I think that's uh, one of the biggest stumbles of Real Madrid because they really needed the three points. And and after all, they ultimately left uh, Mallorca uh, empty-pocketed and leaving, obviously, Barca uh, a big advantage later on in order to, you know, uh, that title race uh, being even more further from uh, the Madridistas after this weekend.
1: Yeah, and I mean... Mallorca did stifle Real Madrid very well. Real Madrid only had one shot on target, and that was the Marco Asensio penalty, which was saved superbly by the Mallorca goal of Pedro Rajkovic. I think I said that one right. Um, yeah. but Yeah, I mean, it was an excellent save. And I mean Mallorca made 29,000 total. ten of those on Vinicius Jr., who was at the very centre of this game in the build-up to it, obviously after Pablo Maffeo. Um, and the Mallorca captain as well, Antonio Rayo, were kind of mm. speaking about him, his personality, and kind of his character. Um, and Real Madrid was kind of hitting back. Danny Carvajal in a, a video clip that was posted on social media saying that he was going to talk to Rayo about what he'd said. I mean, how much of this game was about Vinicius? I mean, Pablo Maffei, I think, produced one of the best performances we've seen from a defender in La Liga
0: for some time. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think that Vinicius is uh, getting himself cornered in the last few games, in the last few months, because he really doesn't need to do many of the things that he does. Um, I understand Ancelotti, he tried to defend his player later uh, in the press conference, saying that it's the opposition and, uh, you know, opposite teams and opposite players who are trying to set off the, the Brazilian, but... I think that Vinicius really plays the role perfectly. You know, he, um, maybe Real Madrid fans do not agree with me. I totally respect that. But I think that we've seen many, many other examples of, uh, you know, skillful players back in the day, being able to both remain skillful and useful for his, for their teams without falling into the, you know, disrespect category that, Vinicius mm, falls often, okay? Because, you know, he really doesn't need the the, the fray with uh, with opposite players, with, uh, you know, the, the people who are trying to defend him. Uh, we did see that uh, last uh, Thursday in the game against Valencia with Gabriel Paulista, with that, uh, you know, huge tackle on him, which was a definite red card. But I don't know. I think that whenever Vinicius doesn't really focus on the game, he gets lost in the, you know, in the, you know, all of the muddy aspects of of uh, these kinds of, uh, you know, uh, encounters, and that's why I think that Ancelotti should really sit down with him and and try to explain to him that all of the dancing stuff, all of the, um, you know, provoking stuff to uh, the opposition, and obviously the the stands in any uh, ground where, the, where they play away from home. All of that really detracts from the quality that Vinicius actually has. So I think that Ancelotti has plenty of work to do with him. I understand that he publicly defended him, but I think that uh, in some ways Vinicius really cancels himself out of games, uh, falling into this kind of of pitfalls.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the boiling point was at halftime when when Vinicius just booked for uh, a foul, went straight up to Hernandez Hernandez, the referee, and, kind of pointing in his face, lucky enough to see a second yellow. And then as he went down the tunnel, kind of pointing at the, the crest on his shirt. And Antonio Rayo was kind of re- retaliated with the same with the Mallorca crest in the second half. And yeah, did take away. I mean, obviously none of the abuse or, or you know, the fouls that Vinicius receives are, are justified by any of that. But we do wonder whether his kind of antics and, and provocations are taking away from Real Madrid and making life harder for them than needs to be. And that is going to be a concern for them because they are now eight points behind Barcelona, who beat Sevilla 3-0 in the Sunday night late kickoff. Paco, eight points. I mean, there's still obviously 18 games to go, but is eight points too big a gap? Are Barcelona the champions elect of La Liga?
0: I wouldn't say that because, as you said, uh, we have many, many games still to be played um 18 match days is a lot of time and we have seen earlier that teams can really fall from grace and and find a deep in their in their form very very easily if you have uh if you had asked the fans before the world cup break most of them would have said that Real Madrid were the favorites to win the the championship and suddenly things turn uh a uh, hundred and eighty degrees around, and and suddenly Barca seem unstoppable in La Liga, but Real Madrid are still alive in both in Copa del Rey and in the Champions League. So I don't know. I think it's gonna be some sort of you know uh, choice for Real Madrid regarding which competitions do they really favor and and which competitions they really want to give their hundred percent. But yeah, eight points is definitely a big gap. Um, we're talking about three mistakes by Barca and Real Madrid winning all of them. We still have another Clásico coming up, obviously. But at this point, I would say that we are only just uh, one uh, mishap away by Real Madrid of uh, polishing the whole competition already. I think that if, if Real Madrid stumble once more and Barca are able to make the gap even bigger into 10 points, for example, that would be it. I think that four games is too much especially after seeing just how Barca have been able to keep so many clean sheets already i don't really know the stats you you are more you know more proficient in that sense but i think that um it's the lowest quantity of goals being allowed by Barca uh in many 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 years and and that is actually amazing the the form that Ter Stegen has shown this season the consistency of Barca's defense so far this season and that's why i believe that if Barça stumble at, the, at some point, I wouldn't say that they are going to lose games. You know, at at the be- at their best, that it would you know the worst case scenario is them drawing a game. So ultimately, they are still picking up points, and that's why I think that if Real Madrid stumble once more and Barça keep this current form more or less consistent for the rest of the season. Uh, maybe by March, we can be already talking about that 10-point gap, for example, and the league being already, you know, in Barca's pocket.
1: Yeah, exactly that. I mean, they have been superb, especially defensively. I mean, they've won to nil against Atletico, against Attafe, against Real Sokida, and the Copper, against Jordana, and now against Sevilla. And this was one of those games where, particularly in that first half, you saw Sevilla kind of with eight, nine men behind the ball at almost all times. And Barcelona kind of struggling to break them down. You wondered, is this one of those games like that Espanyol game on New Year's Eve? Could they come unstuck and, and just fail to break through? But they did. And I mean, they made easy work of it in the end. I, mean, I thought Rafinha was excellent. Jordi Alba coming down the left as well was pretty good. I mean, Gavi, the other goal scorer, had another excellent game. And I think they just kind of tied everything together and were pretty pretty consistent and pretty impressive. I mean, especially considering the fact that they lost Sergio mm. Busquets very early on in that game to injury. And he could be out of the, the first leg against Manchester United now with that ankle injury, which didn't look nice in real time. I mean, you know, I think everybody on that team, the Barcelona played well and making life difficult for, for Xavi and the decisions that he has to make in, in the weeks ahead. But it's going to be an interesting title race, even if it settled a little bit earlier. But come on then, Paco, let's talk about the stuff that's really got you down on this Sunday mm. night. Valencia, a 1-0 defeat to Girona. Uh, obviously, Gennaro Gacluso has left since since last weekend's action. I mean, tell us all about Valencia, about what's going on and, and what we can expect to see in the next few weeks.
0: Well, uh, I would say that Valencia are, are finally already in the in the spot where most of Valencia fans really uh, fe- feared that they would eventually come down to, you know, I think that uh, Peter Lim and, and Meriton Holdings have been playing the Russian roulette with Valencia in the last couple of seasons, since Marcelino was sacked back in 2019, as we have already talked many, many times over here in La Liga Lowdown. And uh, mm, this season luck might have you know, the, the the well of luck might be already dry and empty because um, I don't really see at this point three worse teams than Valencia in La Liga. I see three teams with less points than Valencia, but not really three teams who play as, you know, as weakly, as inconsistently, as... Um, randomly, even at some points, as as Valencia do, I think that the the whole uh, you know Gattuso drama unraveling earlier uh, last week, his departure, um, you know Boros arrival once again. We spoke earlier this weekend about uh, about uh, you know Boros tough job ahead of him, but I think that Valencia really missed the mark with his appointment because you don't really need a, a caretaker for a team. You really needed another another manager with plenty of experience to boot, uh, you know, a modern, um, updated manager. Boro isn't that kind of profile, you know? And uh, I think that uh, when Valencia have really uh, used Boro as the last resort card, it generally worked because the players really trust him, trusted him. They believed he was one of them. But, uh, you know, I think that they have burned uh, Boro's card already. Uh, by using him so many times in the last five, six seasons uh, after Marcelino was sacked um, and Celades came in after Celades was sacked also after Javi Gracia was sacked um, I don't know I think that the effect is no longer as relevant and as as impactful as it was back in the day and that's why Valencia once again drowned in, in Girona, in um Girona really knew the game plan that they had to follow in order to uh, pick up the points. Valencia seemed lost in the first half. They seemed even lost -er in the second one. And ultimately, you know, um, Girona missed quite a few big chances by Tati Castellanos. And once he was uh, subbed and in came um, Riquelme and also Estuani, I think that uh, even in the bench, Girona were better than Valencia. Valencia's squad is, is so uneven in many ways. It's so badly built from the ground up uh, this past uh, summer that ultimately things the things that, that are happening right now could be foreseen by anyone who had two eyes and a brain. So I think we are living possibly the worst moments of uh, Peter Lim at Valencia's management, and uh, especially... In the wake of the, you know, big parade that is being uh, already pushed forward towards uh, February 11th, fans have been trying to, you know, rally up in order to be outside the ground, outside the stadium for the first 19 minutes, because 1919 was the um, uh, year of Valencia's foundation. So fans are expected to stay outside the ground. Uh, and protest against Peter Lim, and then go in in the nineteenth minute and support the team till the till the till the end of the game. Um, I think it's going to be interesting because the the images and the scenes that we're going to see are, you know, bound to be very very powerful. As it happened, remember in the last game of the of the twenty one twenty two season in in that game between Valencia and Celta. It's
1: difficult times for Valencia. So two questions, then Paco. One. Is there any talk on who the new manager could be? Emeriton, approaching anyone? And two, only one point clear of Cadiz from the relegation zone. Is relegation a real possibility for Valencia?
0: Well, regarding the all of the rumors uh, being thrown around, um, obviously Peter Lin would love to, uh, you know, bring back Nuno Spirito Santo, who is training, I believe, over in in the in Saudi Arabia, I believe. Uh, but you know, there's a there's some some sort of um, penalization fee that should have to be paid by Valencia, which is between five and six million. So I think that is not going to happen. Remember, Valencia have signed zero players in the in the transfer market because they don't have money and they are paying the players' salaries in IOUs. So I don't really see that happening. Um, but yeah, Peter Lim would love to bring in Nuno, but he isn't ready to splurge the cash. So I think that the situation will keep this way until at least Valencia fall into the relegation spots. Only at that point, I think that Peter Lim would really try to, you know, do something even bolder and, and find another manager. But at this point, I don't see, you know, them replacing Boro once again. I think that Boro might spend a couple of more games, at least, at the helm in, in Valencia.
1: Well, thank you very much, Paco, for all of your updates from Valencia. Stay tuned for point two, where we'll talk about the race for European football and also the other teams down there at the bottom fighting it out with Valencia. Welcome back to La Liga Lowdown and our Matchday 20 recap. We've already talked about the teams right at the top, so let's move on to the next section of the table, where this weekend nobody seemed to want to win. Real Sociedad suffering a shock defeat story away, lead 1-0 at home. Atletico Madrid drew one all with Granada. Real Betis lost at home to Celta Vigo. I mean, which of those three results shocked you the most, Paco?
0: Well, I would say that um, Real Sociedad's defeat at home against Valladolid, even though, uh, remember that uh, Valladolid did beat last week Valencia actually at home and they have suddenly strung two wins in a row. Um, But yeah, I think that ultimately you can really see that, uh, you know, signing players in the winter transfer market actually works. And that has been the case for Valladolid. Um, last week, they beat Valencia with a Larin goal after um, Darwin, Machi- Darwin Machis' assist. And this time, once again, Larin scored uh, the only goal of the game. Um, this guy has had an immediate impact on on, on Valladolid. Two goals, six points, uh, and obviously the um, the team outside of the relegation spots. So I think that it, that was the most surprising result of the weekend, in that battle for uh you know the championship spots i didn't expect real sociedad to not really deliver in the way they did and i also have to point out obviously the the you know the the defeat by Betis at home three four against uh felta i think that that was an amazing game for any neutral viewer any neutral fan um but i believe and actually he did say that after the game in the pressure that uh, Manuel Pellegrini wasn't really happy with the way that that game did develop. So, yeah, uh, Real Sociedad and Betis losing at home was was quite a, a shocking development.
1: Yeah, I mean, Betis in particular, they had their 10th red card in 20 games. Some rather theatrical...
0: Yeah, <laughs> wasn't really a fan of that. Well. Yeah, I, I wasn't really a fan of that because I think it doesn't uh, really uh you know uh improve on the on the way this competition is being uh, uh, handled so far by the referees i think that uh you know var should have at some point uh you know changed the the referee's mind of on what happened i think that you know was enough with a booking but yeah uh, yao Aspas tricked the the referee and um and the assistant into into that red card and obviously, it benefited Celta in the in the last few minutes of the game, but I wasn't really I wasn't really keen on that.
1: Yeah, that was kind of what baffled me because it was like the last few minutes of the game, literally. I mean, Celta were hanging on, but it seemed a bit needless to need to make that much of it. For those of you who didn't see it, Yago Aspas had the ball in his hand, and Luis Felipe comes up from behind and pushes it out. He might catch kind of his arm, but Yago Aspas rolls around, holding his face, and again surprised that the VAR didn't intervene there. And, yeah, I mean, Betis not been in great form lately with that discipline, probably not helping. Real yeah. Southampton have only picked up one point from the last nine and also, we're not tapping the Copa del Rey in that time, a lot of injuries going on there. And lastly, Atletico Madrid, I mean, their home form this season hasn't been great. The, the Gladden Animethion, the, the, the Metropolitano, is on strike because of a, an argument over the club's quest and so on. But, I mean, do you think Atletico are worse at home than they
0: are on the road? I think that the inconsistency is uh you know consistent in that sense that they are unable to find their footing both away and at home um but in this case I have to give credit to also to Getafe because I think that they never did lose their faith on on picking up something positive in that game um and it was quite quite surprising actually because before the game earlier this week Kike uh, Sanchez Flores had a very very harsh um, press conference on on his players. He was, you know, making no prisoners uh, in any sense. He he said that some players weren't really committed. Uh, you know, he left uh, some threats hanging over there regarding the 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 commitment of of players like uh, Maximovich, for example. And uh, in ninety percent of these cases, often the following game doesn't really deliver um the team doesn't really deliver you know on the pitch after uh, such a in spanish we often say rajada no by the by the, the, the manager being you know firing off in every direction in the press conference but in, amazingly so uh, getafe were able to just you know gather themselves pick themselves uh, up after uh, allowing the the first goal by atletico uh, once again correa one of the most bizarre things i've seen in a in a football game Uh, scoring and getting subbed and getting disallowed the goal and later being, uh, you know, uh, reviewed by the VAR and then allowed once again. So the player had to celebrate inside his own, um, inside his own, you know, uh, bench. It was very, very weird. It was one of the weirdest things I've seen uh, in my life. But yeah, and and they were able, Getafe to you know turn things around, try to go on uh, on the offense, and uh, you know that penalty and and that that goal scored by uh, Enes Unal really did give them the, the credit that they deserved. So uh, I have to I have to point out the positive things about Getafe and not only you know the the negative stuff being uh, you know delivered and performed by Atletico.
1: Yeah, and I mean obviously for Getafe that will buy some time for Kike Sanchez. Flores under a lot of pressure there. And it also helps them to climb up a little bit at the bottom of the table and keep that distance with, with Valencia, Sevilla, Espanol, those teams just above the relegation zone. But another one of the shock results this weekend was for La Liga's bottom team. Mm. It was Elche, a 3-1 win over Villarreal. Paco, did you see this one coming?
0: Um, I did see the game. I didn't see it coming. But I think that's eh, 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 you know, no, nobody did. Nobody expected um a team like Villareal who are you know uh European contenders in, in any kind of situation uh being uh, beaten by by the bottom of the league Elche especially because the you know the, the precedents were were very negative to to Elche. I think that um you know the stats Painted a, a very bleak picture. They did They hadn't won a single game so far. They hadn't been able to, you know, keep a, a more or less defensive consistency in any game. Um, you had of the the Carlos Clark, um, the Carlos Clark uh, jinx, uh, finally not working against him. I don't know. And, and obviously, Pere Milla scoring a hat trick. Obviously, two of them were from the penalty spot, but. You know, many things were uh, against Elche and they were able to overcome them and and Cesar a huge win. Because I was talking about this in the first half of this chat, uh, Sam, but I I, I can't see uh, a team with less attitude and less faith right now than Valencia. Because I did see Elche and they were pushing forward and believing that they could win the game and that they could try to clinch into the, the Salvation race in some way. And that's why um, my, my my comments earlier, uh, I think that Elche, even though they are far away from Salvation, I believe it's 11 points away from Valencia, who are now 17th, they believe in themselves. And they believe that possibly next week they are able to win the game. Obviously, it's going to be very difficult because of the opposition. But if they are able to win one of the t- or the following two, three games, they might have a shot of fighting for that in the last 5 6 games of the season whereas for other teams they are right now in a in a downwards spiral of both results and uh you know performance and that's why i don't really see elche being out of the salvation race and that's why i don't see valencia being better for example than elche i would really try to pit them face to face at this point And I wouldn't be sure of the of the end result.
1: Yeah, and some some similarities as well with Levante from last season. Levante didn't win until match day twenty. Elche didn't win until match day twenty. It was just a little bit too late for Levante last season. But maybe Elche can go on better with Pablo Machin. And yeah, I think the only disappointment for them will be that they'll have an eleven day wait until the next game and it's Real Madrid away, so possibly one of the tougher ones, but Con and then Paco Elche, are they going to stay up or are they going to go down in one word?
0: Unfortunately for my Elche friends, I think that they are going to go down, but they are going to do so uh, by putting up a fight. And that is much better than the scenery that we had only two or three weeks ago.
1: Perfect. Yeah, so let's go out with that then. We'll end on one of the highlights of the Elche season. Pedro Mia finishing off his hat-trick converting a second penalty of the game before he was taken off with like a an arm injury. Um, something's broken there, I think. So he might not be back in action for a little while, but he will have this memory to think about while he's in the recovery. Back off, thank you very much for joining us.
0: Uh, thank you, Sam. Take care.
1: And now we will make sure that we will keep you up to date with all of the latest. This week we will have the Club World Cup. We have all kinds of action throughout the midweek, and then we'll be back again next weekend where we'll have another round of La Liga
0: action. Thanks for listening. Va Pere y Pepe, Pepe y Pere, le va a pegar el futbolista del Elche. Gol, 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 gol. Del Elche. Otra vez Pere Milla. Volvió a engañar a Pepe Reina. Lo tiró a la izquierda del portero del Villarreal. Vuelve a marcar el Elche. Tercero de Perevilla. Segundo desde el punto de penalti.